welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Good morning, friends. How are you doing this morning? Are you well? It's lovely. That, yeah, I, well, let me try that again. Good morning, friends. Are you doing well? Yay! Someone's away. If they, remember that TV show called Catchphrase? Anybody watch that show? It feels a bit like Bible Catchphrase this morning, where the, the Bible verses are going to get revealed, maybe. So you're going to see if you're on it today, and whether you can spot what's coming in terms of the Bible. Uh, we are doing this series called Insights. We're looking at the lesser-known books of the Bible, the books that don't normally get such a look in. Um, how many of you, just by a show of hands, how many of you can remember um, sermons being preached from the book of Jude? Pop your hand up. Oh, look, tumbleweed in the room. Oh, one person. <laughs> um, so we're going to be looking in a book called Jude. And it's, if you go to the very back of the Bible, you find the book of Revelation, then you come back one, then you'll find Jude. I encourage you to fire it up on your phone. Or actually, if you've got a papal retro, retro Bible, you can actually get your Bible out, physical Bible out. Um, we're going to be looking at the book of Jude. You know, our conviction is this, that we're looking at these books of the Bible because all of God's word is there written in love for us. Um, it, it, the Bible in 1, Corinthians, sorry, in 1 Timothy says, sorry, 2 Timothy says this, that all of scripture is God-breathed and useful for training in righteousness so that the person of God can be equipped for every good work. So we come and we take this series to look at the whole counsel of God. We're looking at those books of the Bible that don't get so much of a look in. I'm also helping you out because at one point in your future, you're going to be at a drinks party in heaven having a chat and someone's going to walk over and say, hey, my name's Jude. What did you like about my book? And you're going to, did you write a book? And you go, oh, no, I remember your book. It was great. So I'm saving you some future embarrassment because there are minor prophets and you will, you will meet them in the future. And so it will do you well that you've actually checked out their book because it's written in love from God for you. Good stuff. Should we pray? Let's do that. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're present with us. And we pray that as we study your word, that you would speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jude comes at the very end of the New Testament. And Jude introduced himself as the brother of James. We actually understand that he's the youngest of Jesus' four brothers. He's probably 15 years younger than Jesus. So he grew up in Jesus' family. And Jesus was his half-brother, technically. Now, none of the brothers of Jesus, the physical brothers of Jesus, actually followed him during his ministry. So when he was teaching, healing, doing all that stuff, they didn't follow him as Messiah. What changed? Well, the resurrection changed everything. After the resurrection appearances, these brothers, these natural brothers of Jesus, followed him and became key leaders in the early church. That's an interesting piece of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. So these brothers became leaders in the church, and Jude was known as a traveling teacher. And I'm going to just simply go verse by verse. So if you've got your Bible, follow through. The verses will be on the screen, but just stay with me as we go through. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we'll get it in chunks as we go. The book, verse 1, was written to those who are called, who are loved in God and the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So it's not just written to one church in one space, but it's written to the whole church, to all believers. And that, friends, includes us. So Jude was writing to a people who had a deep knowledge of Jewish history, um, who knew the Old Testament and also other popular Jewish literature. And it makes it a bit different. So he's writing primarily to people from a Jewish tradition. 
So here he's right at the very end of his life and the first apostles that we read about in the life and ministry of Jesus have grown up and died and the church is growing rapidly in many places. And as it grows, certain problems have cropped up and occurred which hadn't happened earlier. So these letters at the very end of the New Testament are written to address this stuff. So 1 and 2 John, just before Jude, were written to address what happens when leaders become heretics. They go off the path and deviate from the true faith. 3 John looks at what happens when leaders become bullies in their leadership. And then Jude, which is right by them, looks at another crucial problem. What happens when leaders go immoral and they actually become a corrupting influence in the church? That's why Jude's written his letter, and it's really clear from verse 4. Glance at verse 4. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. What Jude is saying, friends, is that leaders are effectively saying anything goes. They're allowing immorality in the church, and this is actually resulting in the denial of Jesus' sovereignty by rejecting the stuff that Jesus taught and his authority. So the argument seems to have gone something like this. Okay, we believe in Jesus, we're loved by God, we're saved by grace, now we're free to do whatever we want, woohoo! We can behave sexually in any way that we want to because we know that we'll be forgiven. It's actually a form of something called Gnosticism, the idea that I can do with my body whatever I want to and it has no impact on me spiritually. And that's the problem that Jude is addressing. This abuse of God's grace and turning to immorality is actually ignoring the very things that Jesus said. David Pawson in his book on Jude puts it this way. Imagine you see a man drowning in a river. You put your jackets off and your shoes off and you dive in, you pull that person out. And then he shakes your hand and says, oh brother, you saved my life. Thank you so much. And then he turns around and walks around and jumps back in the river again. And he says, help, save me, help. And you dive in again, and you pull him out, and you get him dry, and he says, oh, it's twice you saved me. I'm so grateful to you. And then he turns around, he walks back in again. How long? I mean, you know what you'll be thinking if you're not going to be saved. Before long, you'll be thinking, you don't want to be saved. Grace doesn't mean that you can live the way you like for the rest of your life, and God will keep forgiving you. He accepted you so you could stop doing the stuff that you've been doing. Grace gets you on solid ground. Hudson Taylor put it this way, if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. So what makes this letter interesting and a bit difficult for us to get our heads round is that Jude draws on a particular type of literature that's called apocryphal literature, which is not included in our Bibles today. And he references some books that we don't really um, look at because they're not seen as part of the authoritative word of God. He references the book of one Enoch and the Testament of Moses. It's a little bit strange when we try and get into it because he's quoting other stuff. And Jude is quite unique in this. He's using this material most of it that emerged between the Old Testament and New Testament, quite possibly because these false teachers were themselves justifying their take on life from that stuff. And these books would have been known to his readers. So the bulk of the letter of Jude is a warning and an argument against teaching that goes a little bit astray. False teachers. He starts with a greeting, and then we see this. Verse 1, To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus, mercy peace and love be yours in abundance. Now Paul normally starts his letters grace and peace 
But Jude leads with mercy. We'll come back to that a bit later at the end of the book. There's a beautiful passage where Jude encourages his believers both to wait for the mercy of God and to show mercy to others who doubt. Then we see the opening charge of this letter. What is this all about? What's inspiring you to write here, Jude? Verse 3, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith which was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. So this is the backstory. Jude is feeling inspired. He wants to write a letter about salvation, but then the Holy Spirit interrupts him and seems to compel him to write instead about contending for the faith. That's a strange phrase, contending for the faith. He's acknowledging that if we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to be Jesus communities, then pressures will come, whether external or internal. Now, Sam from Open Doors was here a couple of Sundays ago at Big Church, and he spoke about those external pressures on the church. That's often persecution. It's often counterproductive because for the persecutors, it often refines and renews the church as the church appreciates what's it got in Jesus. But this is a warning against false teachers in the church. Verse 4, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. Whether that's in the room physically or just through influences that we read or come across. Jude is warning here about not external pressures like persecution, but internal pressures in the church. Church can be destroyed by this internal corruption or compromise. And he's issuing a warning, contend for your faith. Don't take it for granted. It's under attack. That's what is inspiring Jude to write. We're to fight for the faith that we've been given and beware of false teachers and their agendas. He doesn't really start with how to contend for the faith. He starts by focusing on the teachers who've slipped in among the people. He's warning these Christians that false teachers have come in and they've like moved the goalposts allowing anything and everything, even encouraging immorality. They're peddling a distortion of the authentic faith that Jesus and the apostles spoke. You see, in the Bible, God's route to wholeness is through the path of holiness. And when you chuck out that teaching, you miss out on the grace of God to bring wholeness. Jude starts to critique these leaders by teaching and reminding the, the listeners of a series of stories that they probably knew if they knew the Bible pretty well. The first three stories that we see uh, that are referenced in this is verse five onwards. What does he say? Oh, you already know this, but I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people from Egypt. He mentions three quick stories. God's people are in Egypt. He delivers them and they stop trusting God in the middle of the desert. God has saved his people, done all sorts of signs and wonders. But then that generation didn't believe that the promised land was good or that God was good. And they started to grumble and they wanted to go back to Egypt. Unbelief spread through that whole community. So a generation died in the wilderness and they didn't enter the promised land apart from a handful and then he goes on to this story in verse six and seven it's it's a bit of a strange thing about angels in prison for rebellion what is that about i mean no wonder it doesn't get preached about very much angels in prison for rebellion this is quoting the book of first enoch in the apocrypha which is giving commentary on genesis chapter six when angels had sex with people on the planet and it was just weird what a bizarre story he's warning us against god's grace as a reason to sin then he references sodom and gomorrah in genesis where violent men tried to have forced sex with abraham's guests these visiting angels 
It's the same storyline again. And then there's this other bizarre thing in 9 and 10 about the story about the tomb of Moses. Chatted about the tomb of Moses recently? No, I hadn't either. <laughs> it's not in our Bible, but it's another Jewish uh, manuscript called the Testament of Moses. Satan was trying to tempt the Israelites to find the tomb of Moses so people might worship Moses instead of God. Wow, these stories seem strange to us here in 2022, but for the Jewish believers, the behavior of these corrupt teachers in the room or in the church had ancient roots. Rebellion against God's authority, immorality, and rejecting God's messengers. And then he connects this story to a second trio of examples, verse 11 on. Three leaders, and these leaders were rebels in their hearts, and they went on to corrupt other people. So their rebellion contaminated a whole group of people. It wasn't just contained, it spread. Woe to them, verse 11. They've taken the way of Cain. They've rushed to profit from Balaam's error. They've been destroyed by Korah's rebellion. Now, who was Cain? Cain was a jealous guy who murdered his brother Abel, and he went on to build a city where violence reigned. Balaam was the sorcerer. He couldn't curse God's people, so he tried to bring them into idolatry and sexual corruption. Then Korah, because of his jealousy, he led a rebellion against Moses, which ended in disaster for many people. So leaders who went off track and didn't just damage themselves, but contaminated a community. And then Jude gets poetic. He puts up this series of poetic images to illustrate more vividly what false preachers or false teachers or false teaching can really be like. He's got these things, selfish shepherds, who tend to themselves and not to the flock. It's a reference back to Ezekiel. Clouds without rain, a reference to Proverbs. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted. Wild waves just foaming, but there's nothing valuable there. And shooting stars, impressive for a minute, but then just gone. What's the link between those images? As you glance at those, are they on the screen? Some of them are. Yeah, a bunch of them are on the screen. As you, as you think about those images, some things that link them. This is a catchphrase, isn't it, all over? <laughs> they are actually, they're just useless. They're just, they've got no value. Jude is really saying all these images and these ways that these false teachers are is useless. Selfish shepherds, they're just about themselves. They don't care about the flock. Clouds that haven't got any rain have no value for the crops. Autumn trees without fruit, they're not valuable to anybody. Wild waves just gushing around and shooting stars. They're not like a fixed star. When you've got a fixed star like the North Star, you can actually use it as a point and a fixed point to navigate from. But that's not what this is like. Jude is really full on. <laughs> he quotes again from the book of First Enoch about the judgment that's coming in verse 14. Then in verse 16, talking about these false teachers, he's not holding back here, friends. These people are grumblers, they're fault finders, following their own evil desires, boasting about themselves and flattering others for their own advantage. Wow, Jude is like on a roll. <laughs> he's really being clear about this. Then... And now, we can and must expect higher standards from leaders. That's what Jude's saying, friends. Leaders in the church, at whatever level, should be trying to be like Jesus. And these leaders simply weren't. That's the issue. And that's what's provoked Jude to write. Leaders are meant to live by higher standards, to actually set an example. They're meant to set an example, and when they don't, it should be called out. It's entirely appropriate to call it out. Friends, I don't make a political thing, but we've seen this in the political world recently, haven't we? When people have been making huge sacrifices during the pandemic, and some of our leaders were saying one thing and doing another, people were rightly enraged. It's true, isn't it? The hypocrisy of that. 
Jude is being like an investigative journalist who's exposing the hypocrisy in the heart of the church. And he's saying, friends, don't put up for it and don't fall for it. When leaders say one thing and doing another, it's just wrong. I'm not making a political point, I'm making a leadership point. That's what Jude's addressing. That's what's inspired him to write. Do you know, sadly, over the years, I've been around church for 35, 40 years, and I've seen people excuse all sorts of nonsense in church, in the lives of leaders. Not just, I'm not talking this church, because that'd be a bit bleak, but I'm talking just the church, the global church. You know, everything from ungodly and unkind behaviour. I've seen it excused. Bullying, spiritual abuse. We've seen it in the global church. Sexual immorality, even sexual abuse covered up and not dealt with properly. Coercion, control, financial abuse, sometimes under the guise of weird prosperity teaching. People committing adultery, claiming to be led by the Lord. I've had to confront people who've claimed they've got a natural wife and a spiritual wife and a couple more spiritual wives. That's a new one. People having a new take on the historic convictions of the faith, believing they've got a fresh revelation or a fresh take, and justifying what Jude would call a departure from the most holy faith. I've seen people excusing behaviour because of gifting or anointing. Come across that? I've witnessed also an unwillingness to confront leaders because people kind of get into this dependent cycle on them. All of that weirdness, Judah's going after. He's warning against all that nonsense. And there's a safeguard about being in a bigger family of churches because leaders are not self-appointed and they're not self-regulating. There's a safeguard in knowing that when we're in a clan or in a family, there's a responsibility that we're not simply just judge and jury. If something kicks off, there's processes in place to help God's family stay on track. That's the bleak stuff, a bit heavy duty, lighten the mood a bit. This is where it shifts in the book. Verse 17 on, Jude calls us to persevere and contend for our faith. And this is how, verse, um, verse, 11, sorry, verse 17 onwards, he says there's a call to persevere. We see four responses. And in light of all that stuff, what four things can we actually do? This is what he says. First of all, don't be surprised. Look, don't be surprised when leaders do dumb stuff. Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers who will follow their ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Jesus said there'd be false teachers. The apostles said the same. Don't be surprised. Watch and understand what's happening. Second thing is, um, you know, Jesus, sorry, Judas saying, just, just be aware because sometimes leaders go rogue. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. These people can be divisive. Be careful of divisive people. Wolves in sheep's clothing. The second response is take responsibility for your own discipleship. Let me say that again. Take responsibility for your own growth. 20, verse 20. But you, dear friends, in the light of all that I've just gone through, which is a bit bleak, you, dear friends, build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. You know, we cannot delegate or outsource the responsibility for our own development to anybody else. We can't do it. We can't outsource it and just hope, oh, the environment will help me grow. I've got to own some stuff here. That's what Jude is saying. 
Pray in the Holy Spirit. That's how we keep in touch with God. At the end of Ephesians, Paul says, uh, you know, pray in the Spirit in all kinds of occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. We need to learn how to, to pray in the Spirit in every type of situation we bump into, in every context, in every challenge. What you're facing this week right now. The good news is that the Holy Spirit helps. I don't know how to pray a lot of the time, honestly. Just I'm in situations that are so complex, I'm a bit clueless to know how to pray. Anybody find themselves in that sort of situation? Whether it's a family thing or a work thing or a pressure thing, sometimes you think, I've prayed my best prayers and I'm not quite sure what to do with this. Well, the Holy Spirit helps us. Romans 8, 26. We don't even know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit helps us with groundless words. When we just go, oh my goodness, and you feel heavy in heart, that can be the Holy Spirit. Seeing that you want to connect with God about that real situation and he takes that as prayer. Just the unburdening of our heart before God. I love that that it hasn't got to be articulate and fancy words and big language but the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses anybody else feel weak when you're praying I certainly do and God helps us in those moments you know to pray in the spirit like Jude is saying here build yourselves up in your most holy faith praying in the spirit is to be um, led by the Holy Spirit just to have the spirit of God present with us that's available to all of us to pray in the Spirit is to pray in line with all the things that God has committed to. The, the Holy Spirit has inspired the Word, so we take the Word and let that give us language when our language runs short. That's what we do. I love what Smith Wigglesworth said. He was an evangelist and a leader from the last century. He said this, there are great possibilities as we yield to the Holy Spirit and speak to God and we pray in the quiet place of our bedrooms. God wants you to be filled with the Holy Ghost so that everything about you shall be charged with the very dynamite of heaven. In an honest moment, Smith Wigglesworth said this, you know, we must be edified in the Lord before we can ever edify anybody else. There never was a weaker man called to lead. Language, none of it. Inability, I'm full of it. <laughs> All the natural things in my life, Smith Wigglesworth said, points exactly the opposite direction to my being able to stand and lead and preach and do anything for Christ. Wow, what an honest moment. He learned to build himself up in his most holy faith as he prayed in the Spirit, as he prayed led by the Holy Spirit. Also on this Pentecost Sunday, it's great to think about that spiritual gift that can come into our lives as well as we open our hearts to God of actually praying in tongues. Praying in the Spirit could just be praying in English-led or whatever your heart language is and just being led by inspiration from God's Word. But also God gives us a supernatural gift, a gift of the Spirit to pray and connect with God in prayer, which is a real gift for us, which we'll, we'll pray for later for those that want to move in that gift. Pray and keep yourselves in the love of God is what it says in verse 20 and 21. Where do you find yourself today? Do you find yourself anxious or self-pitying or complaining or a bit overwhelmed? You know, where you find yourself is not where you have to keep yourself. Jude is saying, keep yourself in the love of God. I find myself overwhelmed or stressed or pressured lots of the time because it's just life. You might find yourself in a place that God wasn't going to keep you. You don't have to keep yourself in that place. There's an option to keep yourself in the love of God. That's what Jude is saying here. Hey, listen, there's a way to face stuff in life from a different starting place. You don't have to be stuck in the place that you find yourself set by agendas or emotions or responses. You can keep yourself in the love of God and from the love of God, do life. And how do you get there? Well, that's what 
Judah's concerned about. He said, I want, you to, I want you to keep in the love of God as the basis and the bedrock from which you face the pressures, the challenges, the joys, the demands that come your way. That's a better place to be found, isn't it? To find in the love of God. And he says, a couple of things you do. You pray and obey. I mean, you pray in your most holy faith and build yourself up in your most holy faith as you pray in the Holy Spirit. And then you keep yourself in the love of God. Jesus said this very plainly. If you love me, then obey my commands. And if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. If you love me, obey my commands, John 14, 15. Then if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, John 15, 10. So don't be surprised. Take responsibility for your own discipleship. Show mercy. Just briefly this one. Show mercy to those who doubt, verse 22. You know, we want mercy for ourselves, but justice for others, don't we? But actually, we're meant to show mercy. That's how it is. That's how God treats us with mercy. So we show mercy to others that offend us or let us down or even leaders that let us down. And if we've messed up, God has mercy for us right here, right now. God's grace gives us a new start. God's grace puts our feet on solid ground. He pulls us out of that river and puts our feet on the bank one more time. And the the last thing as we wrap up this morning is just recall the promise. Verse 24, we've got a future with Christ and we need to live our lives now in the light of that future. We keep our focus on Jesus and we live in the light of our eternal future. As a disciple, I want to speak something to you. It's perfectly possible to do life without stumbling. just want to say that again. It is possible to do life without big crashes in your faith. It's what, it's what it says here. The grace of God demands this whole life response. And Jude doesn't focus on lots of theology. He focuses on the choices that we make. If you really love me, you'll obey my teaching. So loving Jesus is learning to obey and do what he said. At the end of this letter, Jude finishes with a blessing. And he says, it's not all about you. It's not all about your effort. This wonderful doxology in verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God and Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Wow, it's all about you, Jesus, your goodness. You've got a grip on my heart and you can keep me from stumbling. You can keep me from blowing it and messing up. I love that my confidence is in not my effort or ability, but God's ability to grip me tight when I say yes. When I do the things that he's invited me to do, to pray in the Holy Spirit, to strengthen myself in the Holy Faith, to stay rooted in the love of God. If I do my bit, he does his bit. He keeps me and prevents me from stumbling and presents me before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. That's great news. Judah's just being honest. Stuff happens. Influences come, whether things you listen to or read or people or just stuff can kind of hijack the faith. There's external pressures. We don't experience much of that right now, but there's internal pressures that can come our way as God's church. And Judah's being honest and saying, have a reality check. Recognize those things are always present in the church, in every culture, in every part of the world, at every season. Don't just be naive and think it's happening someplace else. It could happen here. And he's saying, do you know what? In the light of that, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that that stuff happens. Some people have been surprised and it's damaged you because you've had a breach of trust with leaders. Don't be surprised. Take responsibility for your own growth. Show mercy to others, whether you think they're deserving or not, and recall the promise. We've got a future with Christ and he's able to keep us from falling. Why don't we stand together and we're going to respond to God in worship. And as we worship, we can just be 
bringing our hearts to God and just reflecting on is anything that the Lord wants to say or do in us as we uh, reflect on his word this morning. Let's pray and the team can come forward and we will worship as our response. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.